listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I got to tell you, people, I have a uh, I have a great guest on today, and we just talked. He is an honorary member of New Jersey, and he just had a solo album come out, Blue with Lou. He just got done a solo tour. He plays with Crazy Horse. He plays with the E Street Band, who is my favorite. He's a Redskins fan, which I'm not going to hold against him being an Eagles fan, because I'm okay with Redskins fans. And my guest is Nils Lofgren. How you doing, Nils? I'm great. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. So so you're, you're a Redskins fan, and I heard that plays part into when you started working on this album that you recently came out with. Well, a long time ago, um, Lou Reed, who's one of my uh, you know musical heroes and grew up loving his music, uh, and I wrote 13 songs together, and originally uh, Bob Ezrin, our, the producer of uh, an album I was working on called Nils, had No Mercy and some of my other better songs on it. We were looking for someone to help us with lyrics because we had a lot of music we liked and we weren't very happy with the lyrics and rather than me keep going after it, uh, Bob, who worked with Lou, sounded Lou out. We met and talked and he said, come to my apartment, we'll talk this through. And I got there and he, I was very surprised. He said, hey, I'm a big NFL fan. There's a Cowboys-Redskins game on and I'm a big Cowboy fan. And I, I kind of laughed at that. I said, well, I grew up in D.C. And he said, so you don't mind watching the game? And it was fun because, you know, we sipped some whiskey and rooted, he rooted for the Cowboys. I rooted for the Redskins. And very unusual because I'm a big uh, football fan. I couldn't tell you who won because my interest was trying to figure out how to write songs with the great Lou Reed. And we figured that out. But the short story of the NFL connection was uh, it was a big surprise. He was such an NFL fan. And course you know being a giant fan i'm sure we can mutually all uh you know not wish the cowboys well is a polite way of saying it because they're always a thorn in our sides actually i'm an eagles fan and i always say to people we like the redskins and we hate the cowboys we hate the giants and now in the last 15 years we hate the patriots and i think redskins oh, fans God, have the same the thought patriots, yeah we're just all so tired of seeing them win it's just maddening it's uh, actually it was uh, interesting. My, my a good friend of ours, uh, well, Sandy Montag, um, I believe it was Sandy, who's uh, John Madden's agent for for all these decades, uh, hooked us up with some tickets uh, to go see the Super Bowl in Arizona. The first time the uh, the Giants were out here playing uh, the Cowboys, and Amy and I who. Admittedly, we love love to watch it on TV. Going to a stadium is an hour away. It's a lot. The traffic, the lines, and we've been to uh, we've been to a Super Bowl. The last Madden Summerall Super Bowl actually was in New Orleans, and Amy and I were there as John Madden's guests. We rode the Madden Cruiser over, and it was the last game, last Super Bowl game for Pat uh, Summerall and John Madden. So it was kind of a heavy thing to go over on the Madden Cruiser and watch the game, but. Um, Anyway, we, we rather than go out there, we invited some friends out of Jersey out uh, who are just crazy Giants fans, and they went out to the game, and I gave them a pep talk because they were so worried, and I said, look, you know, the Patriots might win, but the Giants made it to the Super Bowl, relax, upset might happen, just go enjoy the game, and we watched it at home, and we were just blown away by that helmet catch near the end of the game they kept the drive alive and then the Giants went on to upset the Patriots here in Arizona and we were just so 
I mean, we were happy for the Giants, but even happier to see the Patriots lose because we're just so sick of them winning, right? I'm sorry, yeah. Patriots fans. I'm a Redskins <laughs> fan, and, you know, we haven't had the history you've had, so you've won enough. That's <laughs> what else is a shot. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, everyone hates them now. It's crazy. <laughs> so, so you've had this great career. When did you start music? Did you start off on the accordion? Yeah, I was like five or six in the, the south side of Chicago. Uh, asked my mom and dad for accordion lessons. It seemed like every kid on the block played accordion. And, um, you know, they said, well, if you do the, do the homework and, and study, we'll pay for the lessons. And I did. And I didn't realize it turned into almost 10 years of lessons, but I took to it. And, uh, you know, looking back now, even at that very young age, I discovered music is kind of a sacred weapon that billions of people use today to just uh, tune out of their troubles for hope, inspiration, uh, and uh, it, it, to me, is more valuable and important than ever in, in life, and 50 years later on the road, it's still, you know, kind of my sacred weapon to deal with um, ups and downs and the blues or whatever, and uh, just a remarkable, remarkable, magical thing. And uh, I took to it at a very young age. And there was a great backdrop. Uh, I was probably 14 or 15. My brother Tommy had picked up the guitar in the home. And uh, he started showing me my first guitar chords. And back then, you know, we fell in love with rock and roll through the Beatles and Stones and all that. And Saxville, Motown. It was so much great music. But no one thought you could be a professional musician. And uh, we just started as a hobby. And it went on from there. Now, was it hard transitioning from accordion to guitar, and I guess you had learned to read music when you played the accordion? Yeah, but I I, um, I studied classical accordion for almost nine years. I entered contests, so it was very serious studies. After the waltzes and the polkas, my teachers took me into classical music. So when I picked up rock and roll guitar, I never learned how to read. I just learned, uh, it was kind of basically the blues, you know, Albert King, B.B. King, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, all the greats. Um, used to go to a place called the Cellar Door and see um, Holland Wolf. I'm sorry, not Holland Wolf. I saw Muddy Waters live and got to meet him backstage. Saw B.B. King probably a dozen times. And so the whole point of uh, picking up guitar as a hobby was the improv nature of it. You just improvise blues. You didn't read the written note. I never learned how to read guitar charts. So, I mean, I can read a chord chart, you know, G, E minor, C, D, but as far as reading written notes, I never learned that. It was kind of a release from classical music studies, which I still love the accordion, but uh, to this day, I still enjoy uh, immensely the improv nature of rock and roll, and I just did a tour with my own band promoting my new record, Blue with Lou, and we jammed a lot. We never played the songs the same twice, and uh, that kind of improvisational nature of it is still a great freedom that I, you know, fell in love with through rock and roll. Yeah, it sounds like a freedom, but what, okay, when you're on stage, like your last tour, you said you never play the songs the same way. Is there a point where you sit there and go, okay, now we're just going to improv, or does it just come naturally because you're with a band of probably people you know? Yeah, it comes naturally. I mean, you know, some people might say, you know, you must be 
tired of playing Badlands every night because you play it the same way. And I said, no, I never play it the same way twice. And they look at me like they don't believe me. And, um, you know, look, you, you watch watch a band like E Street do a, a beautiful song like that, and the song sounds sounds like the same emotional hit you get every night. So you just assume we're playing the same things. But we never do, none of us. And if you actually wrote out what each of us play, it's never the same. Um, you know, obviously you come to a, a song like... Uh, Born to Run. Well, when there's the lick, down, da, down, 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 you play the lick. Of course, that's a theme. But then you go back to chunk rhythm, and the accents are always different because you're playing off of what you hear with your bandmates. And nobody knows that, but if you analyze it, like if you wrote it out on paper, which I couldn't do, but if someone did that and you compare it night to night, you'd see it's never the same. You'll get a different idea. You might leave a hole. Someone will, you know. Roy will play some on the keyboards and it'll give me an idea for a rhythm that I'll just hit the next bar instantly and go back to what I'm hearing. And all that stuff kind of, the audience feels it, but you know, it's not like a big solo where you're turned way up and they notice more what you do. But that truly is the improvisational nature of it. I don't plan it. You just react to the sounds around you. And, you know, because I can't read, I mean, I, if you needed someone to re read, uh, you know, the written note all night long, I wouldn't be the guy to hire because I cannot do it. But uh, if it's rock and roll, blues, country, you know, bluegrass, anything, you know, based in the blues, uh, I love that stuff and you know, I feel it. So I'll hopefully come up with something to play that fits the song I'm playing. I'm a huge Springsteen and East Street band. In fact, I, I just moved back from L.A. and I saw them like every. I saw you guys in Dodger Stadium. I saw you at the Sports Arena. I saw you actually Staples the first night you opened. How did you end up in the East Street band? And were you? A, did you know of Bruce's music before you joined? Yeah, way back in 1970, my band Grin out of Washington D.C. did an audition night for Bill Graham, who's a famous Fillmore East and West promoter, Winterland Productions. And, you know, 20 bands would play for 15, 20 minutes, everyone looking for an opening act job from the great Bill Graham. And Steel Mill was there with Bruce. Um, so, you know, I, I first, I, I heard about Bruce out of the Jersey area. My band was out of D.C. And, you know, they sounded really good to me that night. I've been following Bruce ever since. I go see him play at the bottom line in New York City and go say hello and, you know, we, we had a kind of a distant friendship through the years, especially in the early 80s. I moved out to, I, I lived in, I moved out to L.A. in 68, uh, you know, kind of Neil Young and David Briggs took me under their wing out there. My band Grin was making our way. So I'd run into Bruce in L.A. and, you know, we just visit, talk about music, had similar views of what it could be, should be, as we, you know, carried on our mutual paths. And I'd go see the band whenever I could, because, of course, it was an extraordinary band all these decades. And um, in 84, about a month before opening night, and I had, I, you know, again, I'm not speaking for Bruce, but I think him and Steve, who are still, you know, buddies from childhood, Steve had so much good music in him, he felt he had to go solo. And uh, you know, I had really nothing to do with it, but all of a sudden they needed a guitar player for the Born in the USA tour. They'd already made the record, and... You know, Bruce gave me a call. I went up and jammed for a couple of days, and it felt good, and asked me to join the band. I don't know what else went on or anything else but that, but it was just a huge honor, because I do love being in bands. I still remember um, I hit the road when I was 17, 50 years ago, 
And uh, a year later, I was 18 years old, making the After the Gold Rush album with Neil Young. And I was living in Topanga at David Briggs' house, uh, Neil's producer, and produced all the Grin records and most of my solo, my early solo records. And I still remember driving to work with David Briggs, saying, man, it's nice not to be the boss every day. And uh, my band Grin had two singers. We were kind of a democracy, but, you know, I wrote all the songs. And um, I just really embraced the idea of being in a band and playing different instruments, singing harmonies, things that you don't usually do as a band leader. So that kind of stuck in me. And, and I think through the years, as Bruce and I would visit, you know, we'd talk about my times with Neil Young. I, I did quite a few chapters with Neil. And I think Bruce no, noted my, my joy of being in a band, not always having to lead it. Anyway, long story short, uh, Steve had to go do his solo thing and they needed somebody. And, you know, I, I went out and jammed for a few days. It worked out and uh, what a blessing, man. I got to join the band just uh, a few weeks before opening night of the Born in USA tour. It must have been overwhelming in somewhat because, you know, he always plays different songs. So it's like you have to know pretty much every song of his catalog and songs he doesn't do. How does someone, you seem to be under the gun because it was a fast turnaround. How did you learn all that music? Well, basically, I didn't. Uh, I mean, there was just not enough time. Bruce, everyone in the band to a man, and and Patty joined the band, too, as a singer, because I really couldn't sing those really high parts. And God bless Bruce, he just got Patty, who's such a great singer. Um, but they were very helpful, you know, anytime I had a question. But, of course, I, I know how to study, and I have massive amounts of tapes, and I just hold up in a room in uh, Bruce's house, and really, I never came out for that. I used to come and drag me and say, okay, enough, man, let's get out. We, we'd wake up in the morning, we'd go for a easy five-mile jog every morning to start the day, and then I'd hole up in the room and study, and sometimes he'd just drag me out for dinner and say, that's enough, man, get out of, get out of this room. And, you know, I'd, I'd go to sleep, listen to the songs, I'd wake up, listen to the songs. But it was about 20 shows in, uh, we started that great run at the... Uh, great run at the Meadowlands, uh, 10 nights, and, um, you know, we made the run, and uh, I, I remember walking out that first night feeling like, uh, you know, okay, I'm in good shape, I'm feeling good, and uh, I finally felt like I was turning a corner and really felt, you know, integrated into the band. It was just a function of time and too many songs. Now, do you have any favorite songs you love to play when you're on tour? I love them all, man. I mean, certainly... You know, some songs are very challenging, uh, but very beautiful. Like Tunnel of Love is a really challenging song to play, but it's it's just one of my favorites. And then there's things like Ramrod, where it's just a big blues bash, and you know, you just just play great rhythm guitar and have a ball. I'd usually run over and watch Roy play that beautiful, you know, New Orleans piano and. Uh, I love all of them. Some are more challenging musically, but um, everyone's a joy to play because they're just such beautiful songs. Now, you recently were out with uh, Neil Young, played on his albums. How did you meet Neil? How did your relationship start with Neil Young? You said earlier you were on that one, one of his one of his first big albums. How did your relationship start with him? You know, when I um, had my, when I was growing up in Maryland, outside of Washington D.C., I had my band Grin, first really professional band. And we had original songs, and uh, we, you know, we were looking to be a serious original band, get a record deal. We had some auditions in New York and struck out, and we decided to go to L.A. And uh, I, 
didn't know anything about the music business. So I had a habit of trying to sneak backstage at all the great shows and ask for advice. And uh, this particular night, there was a place in D.C. called The Cellar Door. That's where I saw Muddy Waters, B.B. King, so many great bands. But Neil Young was on his first Crazy Horse tour with that great album, Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. And I knew Neil through the Buffalo Springfield and somebody I really loved and admired. So I snuck backstage. I was up the stairways and around into this uh, dressing room that I'd been in before. And usually there wasn't uh, uh, any security. And I walked in on him, introduced myself, and just uh, said, man, you know, my band is desperate. We're looking for jobs. We're going to go to L.A. And Neil said, well, do you have any songs? And I said, yeah, I write songs for the for Grin. And, and he handed me his guitar and said, play me a song. And I did. And he said, that's good. Play me another. So I played him four or five songs. And uh, he really liked them. And they were friendly. And he, uh, he said, look, told his manager, Elliot, who, you know, still a dear friend, get me a cheeseburger and a Coke and a table. And for two nights, I watched four shows, hung out with him at the hotel in the afternoon and started a friendship. This lasted to this day. Uh, and sure enough, a few weeks later, when we got to LA, true to his word, uh, Neil turned us on to David Briggs, his producer, and David loved my band, moved us into his home, moved me into the home, and we rented another house. And uh, you know, we made our way with David, looking for a record deal and eventually making four albums. But it was during that period while we were struggling to get a record deal and working with David and being mentored, of course, by David Briggs and Neil Young, who you couldn't have better advisors and people of inspiration around you, that uh, a year later I was 18 and they invited me to make the After the Gold Rush record. And I wasn't a piano player professionally and they insisted I play some piano and that was my first uh, professional piano playing too on that record. So just very, very lucky after some, you know, rough times and ups and downs, mostly downs, to run into Neil Young and have him, uh, you know, be willing to befriend me, take me under his wing, turn me on to David Briggs, his producer, and that, they've, you know, that led to a lifetime of friendship and musical adventures, which are still continuing. How did you end up playing for him again? I know recently you did. Was it just something that he needed someone and he called you, or had you tr- wanted to play with well, him again? Uh, yeah, last year... Um, they put out a double vinyl album of our uh, Roxy show. We opened the Roxy on Sunset Strip about 45 years ago. I think it was 73. And uh, they decided to put out a double live album of that live show when we opened that nightclub, which still is there on Sunset Strip. And they were going to do five theater shows, uh, cool little old theaters in um, California. And uh, Frank, who replaced Danny Witten, who sadly, tragically passed away on us after I made the first Crazy Horse album with Danny and Jack Nitsche joined the band and produced it. And it's the definitive Crazy Horse album because Danny's alive. He was the main heart and soul and voice and Crazy Horse and writer. So um, that kind of led to our Wake album, uh, Tonight's the Night, because all our friends were dying. Danny was at the top of the list but it was a very dark record and all of a sudden everyone around us was, you know, dying. But anyway, um, fast forward, they put out this uh, live concert of us opening the Roxy and they were gonna play five shows and Frank, who's done a great job in the band, Frank San Pedro for 37 years or so, 
uh, who took Danny's place, uh, had something going on at home, and it was just something heavy, and he couldn't leave. And Neil called me and said, look, I, I really don't want to cancel the shows, but Frank can't make it. Can you just jump in with no rehearsals and wing it? And uh, being an alumni and having the history, uh, you know, I talked to my wife Amy about it, and she, she was like, well, I think you got to do it. And I called Neil back and said, yeah, if you want to, I'm in. He said, give me a minute. And called me back in an hour. I said, we're doing it. And then we worked out the details. So that's how that happened. And then uh, out of the blue this winter, during the polar vortex that, you know, kicked the whole country's ass, uh, I went up, we played two shows in Winnipeg, which was a town Neil moved to at a young age and had a lot of fond memories of growing up, good and bad, and uh, we played two shows in that polar vortex, and I actually went to South Dakota where Billy Talbot, our great bass player, lives, and we were, me and Billy and Ralphie, the drummer, rehearsed for about four days on our own. Then we took a 12-hour bus ride through the storms up into Winnipeg and played two shows with Neil. So, you know, I've been kind of revisiting playing with these dear old friends uh, and this great band I've been an alumni in. And, uh, and then out of the blue, just before my recent tour, where I toured with my new, new album, Blue with Lou, um, Neil called and said he'd been writing a lot of songs for the band and could I get up to Colorado to record for a couple of weeks and we did that and I jumped right into my rehearsals. The band and crew uh, came into Scottsdale and kind of moved into our home and somehow Amy put up with all of us and fed us and took care of us as we put a show together quickly and hit the road for this last month in May touring all around the states in a bus with an electric band, something I hadn't done in 17 years or so. So, you know, after 50 years on the road, man, I still have these great opportunities and really excited about my new record and getting out to play with a band again. My brother Tommy was in the band, which we haven't played together a lot uh, since the Grin days and my solo days where Tommy was in the band on every show. It was just a joy to play with the band that made the record. The great Cindy Mizell, of course, from the Wrecking Ball tour and the Seeger sessions sang all over the album and she came out and sang with us and we just had a ball and did some great shows now what made you decide to record this live of your new album because it's been i believe eight years and you said earlier you really like being part of a band more than being solo what made you change your mind was it just that you said it's time for me to do something you know artistically yeah i mean i i may be correct that i, I don't i don't know if i can say i I do love being in bands. I also love being the band leader and singing my own music. It's probably equal. I wouldn't say I like it better. Um, but, you know, one helps the other. Like when I play in a band, I'll come back to my own music more refreshed and excited about my next chapter and vice versa. So I wouldn't say it's more, but it's about equal. But anyway, I was on the road um, in the Australia tour, the end of the river tour. It wasn't technically the river tour, but it was that series that year where we went out and played so much and we were in Australia and um, I challenged myself of course after my East Street duties were done to start writing in earnest a new record I felt like it had been too long I I had a bunch of ideas I carry a notebook I write lyric ideas in I've got little uh, pretty bad quality recording little digital things to record riffs so I don't forget them so I felt like challenging myself to make another record in earnest on that tour and um, tragically, you know, Lou and I wrote 13 songs together, and he used three, I used three, I put two more out. So there were five songs that got left behind, and 
I always thought Lou and I might look at him and, you know, decide what to do with him. And then tragically, Lou passed away, and I knew I had to get them on the new record. So I used the Lou Reed songs as a jump start to just start arranging them. I brought the notebooks along on the Australian leg with uh, E Street. And I started really delving into those songs and challenging myself, okay, if I'm going to make these records, what would I do? How would I arrange them? You know, all the things that go along with making a record. What key do I want to sing it in? You know, what's the feel? That kind of stuff. And that jump-started my writing into my own stuff. And when I got up to 20 songs, I spent the next year working on uh, writing and uh, fleshing out ideas. And once I had 20 songs, I knew I was ready to make the record. Of course, six of them were Lou Reed songs. There was a song he wrote. Uh, called City Lights that he used on the Bells record that we wrote together, but he narrated it, and he, you know, Lou does that brilliantly, but I wanted to do it with the original melody. Some always wanted to do a cover of our song that we wrote, and uh, so that made six. So half the record is co-writes with Lou, five of them no one ever heard before, and I knew I had to get those out because I, I felt like they shouldn't just go unheard forever. So uh, it took a long time. I just took my time at home, traveling, doing my own solo shows, occasionally playing with East Street or whatever came down the pipe. And when I was ready to play and sing these songs live in the studio, because I wanted to do a live recording, I got, you know, my, some of my favorite people and musicians, Andy Newmark and Kevin McCormick. And, um, you know, we, we didn't even start recording for seven or eight days. We just rehearsed and arranged 20 songs and were able to go from song to song, keep it fresh. We didn't do ISO boost. We do. We banned the drum machine and click tracks. There was none of that. It was very old school. We were in the same room looking at each other. All the sounds were bleeding into all the mics. And I wanted to kind of do a more authentic live recording like that, which we did. And now, are you really happy with the album? Because I know, you know, people sit there and they do stuff, and it's hard to give your credit sometimes. But are you proud of the work? Are you happy how it came out? Yeah, it's it's to me, I, I've never been happier with the record. I, I had a vision of it, and you know, I don't don't have a record company. I haven't. I've been a free agent since the you know mid '90s. I got off my last record deal, and it was difficult. And thanks to the internet, you know, which is as much bad as good, but um, have some dear friends running a website for us, uh, Linda and Dick Bangham, and so I you know make music, share it, sell it all over the world through the website. I keep in touch with um, people that are interested through the website, nosoftkin.com. And uh, there's no pressure or timeline, you know, that's self-inflicted. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to make this next record with the Lou songs. We're going to record live in the studio. I want to be able to play and sing everything finished and done before I even book the band or the sessions to go for a live feel. And I just stuck to my guns and took my time. It took quite a while, but uh, when we were ready... You know, Amy looked after us and fed us, and we had the band and crew live on the property, and we went after this recording. And to me, it's as great a record as I've ever made. Reminds me a bit of my first solo album, which we, again, we did a lot of rehearsing in advance and recorded live in the studio. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot wiser, and I hope a little better at, at that craft after 50 years so we just took our time and when we were ready the the actual recording was really a joy because we'd done most of the work and the arranging and practicing and trying experimenting for you know a long time before we ever figuratively rolled the tape to get a track now before we go i just want to ask you um 
I know they say, you know, Bruce just came out with a solo album and they're saying he'll record new stuff with the E Street. How does that work with your schedule? Do they, does he give you a time when he might be coming back? Because you're such a busy guy. How does that work with your planning out your, you know, solo or tours? Well, look, everyone, everyone's busy doing stuff. Stevie's out, Max is out, Gary's got a new record coming out. Um, and, you know, we just, I, I just call the office, say, hey, I'm going on the road for a few months, any conflicts? And, you know, usually the answer is no. Of course, Bruce was on Broadway for a year and a half. And uh, this solo record, which he's been sitting on for a few years, is brilliant. He just put it out. Have no idea what his plans will be with that. But, you know, I know he, he mentioned he'd been writing songs that would be good for the band later in the year and that maybe we'll, you know, record a record and play next year. But there's no plans right now. I, I think right now he's focused on his new album and promoting it however he sees fit. It's a beautiful record. And, uh, you know, Stevie's booked through November. Um, you know, I'm, we're kind of Neil's on the road, but this record that we started making may carry on through the year, and that may lead to some shows. It's all kind of you know, up in the air right now. So, you know, I did my own tour. Uh, I'm going to stay home for a while, just help my family out and uh, just stay healthy and be ready for whatever comes down the pike. And, you know, if nothing materializes, um, I'll probably go out later in the year and keep doing shows on my own. But, you know, I just check in with the office and I've done that for years, 35 years now I've been in the E Street Band and just, you know, say, hey, I'm planning on touring in a few months, any conflicts and, you know, if the answer is no, then uh, I book it and go work. Okay, are, are you ready for football? When do you start getting excited for football? You know what? I'm not the crazy football fan I used to be. Uh, I enjoy the game. I played it a lot as a kid. I, I played a lot of tackle football when I was younger. And then I gravitated as I got over to playing basketball all the time. That was my true love. And 10 years ago, I had both hips replaced, so I had to stop playing crazy three-on-three basketball. But... Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't get that excited till the season's actually started. We had a great run in, in uh, Washington, D.C. with Joe Gibbs. That was 10 years and three Super Bowls. And, and I do love the game, but, you know, I like playing it as much or more than watching it. I can't really do that anymore. So, um, but, you know, I watch the season. I mean, I root, I root for our Cardinals. They've had some rough luck lately, but they had a, a few good years. In fact, one of the great heartbreaks in my sports life, I was uh, – Standing uh, at halftime, um, getting ready to um, play uh, with Bruce and the East Street Band at the halftime Super Bowl down in Tampa. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was so stunned that, uh, you know, the Cardinals were on like the two yard line uh, of Pittsburgh. And I thought, well, we'll at least get three points or a touchdown. And they fumbled the ball, and the guy ran it back 99 yards. And, it just broke my heart. I was so dismayed that, you know, there's somebody, the road manager started pushing me. He said, no, sir, you got to get out and play. And I'm like, what? I forgot I was playing the halftime show. I was so pissed off. And then at the end of the game, we drove back to a hotel an hour out of town to get away from the madness. And, uh, you know, I knew when, when uh, Larry Fitzgerald scored, I thought, oh, my God, there's three minutes left. That's too much time. And sure enough, there's, you know, Pittsburgh took the ball down and won the Super Bowl. And, 
I was so crushed and heartbroken as a fan, <laughs> pulling for Arizona that came so close. But we've all been through those heartbreaking losses, and uh, I try, I mean, I used to be a lunatic fan when I was in my 20s and, and in my 30s, but now I, I enjoy the game, I watch it, but I try not to get too emotionally upset either way. Well, yeah, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. The website is nilslofgren.com. What is your Twitter? I'm sorry, what is what? Your Twitter. Is it at Il- Um, It's just uh, at nilslofgren. Okay. Well, people, check yeah. them out. I know something happened on you on Twitter we're not going to talk about, but you won. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, look, that was, uh, we're, we're, you know, not to get too deep into politics, we're certainly in trouble. Uh, when when truth becomes secondary uh, to spin <clears throat> on a global level, we're in deep deep trouble. And I hope we pull out of it and make some massive changes soon, and get get you know the country and the the world back on the correct track to some uh, peace, love, and understanding, which uh, is in short in short supply these days. Well, thank you, uh, thank you uh, for coming on today. People, go check out Blue with Lou. Go to his website; it's got a lot of information. If he tours again, go see him, and you uh, have a great day. Thank you, Nils. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for spreading the word. All the best to you. Thank you. You Thank you. All right, man. Take care.